Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 10. I'm your host, Otis Gyre, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author N.M. Brown, about furious fathers, marital mischief, devilish deserts, and nightmarish nature. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support, and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from N.M. Brown introduces us to a devoted father of two who becomes concerned when his eldest son begins showing signs of being bullied. He'll explore many options to try to help his son with his problem, but what happens when a piece of his own advice ends up making things even worse? Without further ado, I present to you The Other Cheek. I'd just begun getting intimate with my wife, and we'd gotten a good rhythm going when she suddenly froze. Shh! Trevor, wait! Did you hear that? A cool puff of air from my pillow met the back of my neck as I slammed my head down in resignation. I didn't hear anything, Lara. I commented, trying my best not to sound annoyed. She'd been on me for days about having sex, now, don't get me wrong. Lara is a gorgeous woman. We'd probably have twelve kids by now if she didn't have her tubes tied. But I'm older now. We both are. I work two jobs so she can stay at home with our two boys. By the time I come home in the evening, I'm exhausted. I wake up tired, spend my entire workday tired, and go to bed tired. It wasn't personal against her. If anything, you'd think she'd realize that everything I do is for her and the kid's benefit and be thankful. But you know how it goes. It can be lonely being the only adult in a house full of little ones, not to mention the isolation. I got to go out and go to work four days a week while Lara stayed cooped up at home with the children. She was likely desperate for adult interaction and attention by the time I got home from work every day. It's an age-old argument, a real classic. The wife stays home with the kids all day and loses her mind while the husband breaks his back at work. Both lamentingly think the other has it easier, well, clinging to a countdown to freedom that never really comes. It's a no-win-both-lose situation one that has no real solution. We'd met in our late teenage years at a local fast food restaurant. I'd just moved into a new apartment with my best friend Hagen and his older brother Rob, and she just moved out of her parents' house into a house of her own. It was a double-wide trailer that definitely needed some tender love and work. But there was no mortgage and or no rent. Uh, the only costs required were utility bills and property taxes. No matter what the condition, she decided to make it work, determined to make it into a home. It just so happened that Hagen's brother lost his job, causing an almost 20% increase in our utilities, with one less person to split the costs with. We'd tried for two years before our first son, Kieran, came along. Doran followed three years later. I thank God for it now. At the time, 
We first wanted to have him. We were hardly more than kids ourselves. I needed her to be mine forever, and I couldn't think of a better way to do that than to have a baby. We needed a couple of years for maturity to set in and the facts of life to marinate a bit. Anyway, back to the good bits. More annoyed than angry, I threw on my bathrobe and headed to the boys' room. If I caught them fooling around in there instead of sleeping like they should have been, then I would be mad. Both boys flinched once the light from the hallway hit their eyes. They sat in a tangle in the middle of the room, hands balled into fists and hair disheveled. Boys, separate, now! My voice boomed through the dark room, causing them to scatter to their separate beds. All right, so... I clapped my hands in mock anticipation. Who's going to tell me what the hell's going on in here? Torrin's lip quivered as he held a hand to his shoulder, a red palm print welled against his skin. My eyes widened with rage and shock. Kieran, did you... did you hit your brother? My son didn't answer, only pouted in the direction of the floor. Hey! He jumped when I raised my voice. Did you hit him? Come on, buddy. You know, if you tell me the truth, I'll take it into account when I consider your punishment. His eyes welled with tears as his outstretched finger flew defiantly toward his brother. Yeah, but he... I cut him off at the pass. But nothing. He's three years younger than you are. What are you thinking? I never, and I mean never, want to see or hear of you hitting him ever again. Are we clear? He nodded, a scowl of betrayal never leaving his face. I'd like to say we picked up where we left off, but Lara was deep in sleep by the time I returned to our room. The trouble began a few days later, while we were sitting at the dinner table. How was your day at school, boys? I asked, passing them the bowl of macaroni and cheese so that they could take a helping for themselves. As usual, Torn blathered on about kids in his class and who got yelled at for what behavior. But Kieran, he stayed sullen, silent, looking down at his untouched plate. I reached out to touch his arm in order to get his attention, and he violently jerked away as if he'd been hit. Whoa, buddy, what's the matter? He clutched his forearm to his chest protectively, as his eyes tried their best not to swell with tears. Again, I attempted to gently reach for his arm, ensuring to keep eye contact the whole time. This time he relented and gave it to me. A sunset-colored bruise painted the corner bone of his wrist. Lara gasped as she spotted a few fainter ones dancing in a trail up his arm. Who the hell did this to you? She asked him, her voice drought with rage and fear. I tripped and fell into the bike rack at school. It's no big deal, he stated matter-of-factly. As my gaze burned into his own, I knew he wasn't being truthful. Lara did as well. She went on a fifteen-minute tirade about how no one's going to hurt her babies and get away with it, and now little kids are assholes. She attempted to bribe him with reward after reward, 
to open up to her, but he just wouldn't budge. Torn remained silent, as if completely oblivious to what was happening around him. Once again, this was something Lara and I both noticed in unison. Oh, dear God, she cried. Torn. He looked gleefully at the mention of his name, his mouth splitting into a broad, gap-toothed grin. My wife placed her hand over his tiny one, gingerly as she looked at our eldest son. Karen, please, whatever you do, keep him safe. I worry enough about you as it is. I couldn't take it if anything happened to him. Torn again looked at her sweetly, smiling through a mouthful of mashed potatoes. Karen glowered at her, and his eyes teared up, causing her reflection in them to become malevolent and warped. I gave him a little while to settle down before calling him down from his bedroom. Okay, Karen, come over here and have a seat with your dad. I said softly. I wanted him to come into this conversation with a sense of comfort and trust. Now, I understand that you don't want to get into trouble and that you want everyone to be your friend, but it's not okay for people to hurt you, kiddo. If you tell me who this is, maybe I can help you. Karen shook his head violently in defiance. You're only protecting them, hurting yourself, by not speaking up. You know that, right? Again, he didn't verbally respond. He just kept swishing the bottoms of his feet over the carpet distractedly. Well, if you won't tell anyone, will you at least defend yourself? I pleaded with him. Your mother and I worry about you. You're a good kid and shouldn't have to put up with this kind of shit. He smirked at my cursing, but still said nothing. Don't stop till you see the whites of their eyes. Thorne yelled as he ran past, riding the kitchen broom like it was a makeshift horse. A few nights later, both of our phones chimed in unison, but with different tones as we sat on our bed for the night. We'd just turned them back on from having them off for most of the evening to spend time with the kids and to let them charge. We hadn't been able to get over 32% all week, and we needed to unplug. We eyed each other with mock suspicion as we checked our notifications. It's a kid's school. They left a voicemail. I explained. Laura indicated that her alert was the same. I pushed in on the one on my phone and waited to connect to voicemail, putting it on speakerphone in the meantime. I waved my hand in annoyance to a voice that couldn't see me, impatiently trying to rush the process to get to the new message. Mr. Simmons, this is Mrs. Anderson, Kieran's teacher. I'd really like for you or your wife to contact me at your earliest convenience. I have some growing concerns about your son and would like to talk to you about them. Please call me back. Thank you. Lara looked at me in alarm as the line disconnected. What do you think that was about? She asked me. I'm not sure. Could be a number of things. Maybe he's falling behind in something. He's a good kid. I doubt he's doing anything wrong but my wife had already grabbed the phone and began to dial the teacher's extension. It's those damn video games, she muttered, not so subtly under her breath. You're not going to reach anyone at 8.45 at night, I reminded her. 
The line had already rung half a dozen times at this point. When it prompted her to leave a voice message, Lara simply hung up the phone in frustration. I'll try again tomorrow after school. However, she didn't get the chance to. My cell phone rang at dinner that evening. The screen read Janine Anderson, who was Karen's teacher. I mouthed their name to my wife, excusing myself so I could go outside and take the call. Taking a generous amount of air into my lungs before releasing it, I pressed the green icon to accept the call. Hello, Mrs. Anderson. My wife and I have been anxious to hear from you. I hope everything's all right. Karen's not causing trouble, is he? Hi, I'm glad to reach you. I hope you are all well. Uh, Karen is, is a wonderful student, but lately I've noticed his grades are declining and he's been experiencing some behavioral changes that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, I replied, prepping myself for the inevitable information that was about to come. Your son's increasingly sullen and withdrawn. Now, I know your family well. We appreciated all your help volunteering for our events. Anyway, what I mean is that I know you're all close, but unfortunately, my job mandates that I ask these questions. I completely understand, and I'm thankful for it. I said calmly. Well, is there anything different that you've noticed? Are there any problems at home that could maybe be affecting his performance at school? Please understand that my intention is not to make assumptions or pry, just make sure our student is in a positive, conducive environment for their education and health, she stated. I actually wanted to talk to you about that. Have you seen any instances of bullying recently? Has our son been having problems with anyone? We've noticed his behavior, too, and frankly, it's quite alarming. I went on to explain to her about the bruising on his wrist and arm that I'd noticed yesterday at dinner. When I told her the excuse he gave me, she sadly informed me that the school didn't have a bike rack anymore. It had been taken out for replacement last month and wasn't due back for two weeks yet. Mrs. Anderson went on to tell me that Kieran was well-liked by his classmates and never had an issue that she'd been aware of. Well, in my mind, that only left one option, the school bus. As much as I hated to embarrass him, I asked the driver if he could sit up front with Torn for a while. I'm sure he'd hate it, but it'd be better than being bullied every day to and from school. If this was starting to affect my kids' grades, then I'd do whatever was necessary to get him back on track. When I told their mother about it, she cried into her hands for over 20 minutes. She made me repeat the conversations and explain the tones over and over until it was time to go put the boys to sleep. Lying in bed that night, I could tell that Lara was having problems falling asleep. She'd tossed, turned, and sighed about five times, before I finally asked her if she was okay. Do you know how many fire and bomb drills the kids have had to do this year, Trevor? She asked quietly. Not off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's happened once or twice. I remarked. I had to follow up with, just like every other school in the country, sweetheart. 
upon seeing her face twist into a knot of worry and stress. Well, Karen isn't like all the other kids in the country. He's mine, she retorted bitterly. And there's some little asshole at school that wants to hurt him. I think I want to attend school online for the rest of the year. Right. And who's going to have the time to help him, hmm? Are you going to drop what you have planned each day to get them on and off the computer? Will you be able to hang up from your phone call if Torin needs help online? These are things you need to think of, Lara. I know I sound awful, but my wife had already been dealing with breakdowns from them being home all day during the summer. I did the best that I could, but I have to work a lot of hours in order to make enough to support my family. Lara always takes too much onto herself and burns out. I didn't want her to snap on the kids. I couldn't leave things like that for the night, so I said something to make peace and pacify the situation. I promise, if it escalates, we will have them both learn from home. Well, folks, I'll tell you what. It's escalated. Of course, you probably already knew that. There wouldn't be much of a story to tell if it all ended there. Exactly three days later, the boys came straight inside after getting off the school bus. Torn was chattering excitedly about something one of the kids in his class did to get in trouble that day, while Kieran walked straight to his room. His head and shoulders were drooped, and I could feel an off vibe in the air on top of everything else. He'd likely had a bad day, and I wanted nothing more than to make things better. I knocked on his door, not waiting for a response before opening it, and stepping inside. Kieran lay in bed on his side, his back facing myself as well as the rest of the room. Muffled sniffles came from his pillow, and his shoulders shook with sobs as he softly cried into it. I ran my hand across his back soothingly, as I waited for him to calm down enough to tell me what had happened. An involuntary gasp escaped my lungs and entered the air as he turned to face me. Not only was his face beat red with tears, there was a sallow yellow look to his left eye. I was furious to recognize it as the makings of the start of a black eye. Who the hell did this to you? I demanded more angrily than I meant to. He shook his head in defiance as he wiped his tears on his snotty sleeve. Still won't tell me, huh? I asked solemnly. Torn burst into the room with a wrapped cheese stick in each hand. Come on outside and play, Kieran. I've got your cheese stick. Kieran's face warped into a scowl as his eyes landed on his little brother. No, he growled. Torn's eyes narrowed. But besides that, his facial expression never changed. He just simply repeated the sentence in a deadpan voice. Come on outside and play, Kieran. Normally, I let the boys work things out amongst themselves. But that day, I decided to interject. Not today, buddy. Your brother's had a bad day and needs to veg out a bit. I'll make him a vegetable. Maybe a tomato. Torrin snickered. I ignored his little boy nonsense, telling him to go play in his room until dinner was ready. Buddy, look, 
I know you're upset and you've had a hell of a day, but try not to take it out on your brother, all right? He's younger than you are. That made things worse. After hearing that, he asked me to leave, flipping over to bury his face in his pillow once more. That night, after Lara got home, we decided to make the switch to online learning. There was a chance that whoever this kid was, in the same grade as Kieran, increasing the likelihood of him being in the classes, even if he does stay at home for a year. But as disgustingly selfish as this sounds, maybe the little jerk would have found someone else to torture by then. One evening, not too shortly after, Lara and I were startled awake by a large bang from the kids' room. At first I was mad. It sounded like they'd knocked over their dresser, horsing around in there. They both knew better, and we all had to be awake, dressed, fed, and ready to be on the computer for class at 8 a.m. My irritated anger quickly turned to alarm once I saw Kieran lying on the bedroom floor, clutching the back of his knee. The room was pitch dark before I came in. Torn laid silent in bed, sound asleep. I knelt on the floor next to my son, who was still writhing in agony. Did you fall out of bed, bud? I knew that he couldn't have. His bed was at least four feet away from where he landed. Something hit me. Hard. Then I stood up and fell. His blankets lay in a tangled mess around his ankles. The yellow around his eye had become an eggplant purple by now. He was staring intently toward the corner of the room. Are you sure you didn't get up to use the bathroom and got hurt when you tripped? I've done that before. He shook his head vehemently, never taking his eyes away from the corner of the room. I rose to my feet and rubbed my eyes, weary with exhaustion. My fingers fumbled blindly in the corner as I searched for whatever Kieran was staring at. In retrospect, I probably should have turned the light on, but the last fucking thing I wanted to do was wake up Torn. That kid was a terror when you woke him up, and besides... He'd always been the first one awake in the house as it was. The knuckles on my hand banged against a solid object, raised up about two inches off the floor. Karen squeaked in fear when I picked it up, causing his brother to stir in his sleep. Shh! I raised my finger to my lips gently, motioning to his tossing and turning brother with my eyes. What I held in my hand was a thick, hardback book. Bold red letters across the front read, Uncle Wiggily's Storybook, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever, considering this was a book Kieran received for Christmas and lost at New Year's over four years ago. I never thought I'd see it again. Is this what hit you? I mouthed. He gave a nod in confirmation. His knee clutched tightly to his chest. Kids have accidents and tell white lies. But Kieran wasn't a clumsy kid. Throughout the next few weeks, there were more incidents, like I just described. Lost objects would reappear, always resulting in an injury to our little boy. What's worse, their mother was beginning to suspect that he was being targeted by a supernatural entity, which made no sense to me, seeing as Torn was such a light sleeper. Kieran's farts have woken that kid up before. Besides, I wasn't a very spiritual person, 
still not. What she was saying seemed panic-driven more than rational fact. Still, our son was still being tortured without explanation. I didn't believe it until things started ending up in a different place in our bedroom than it did when we fell asleep. An eerie tinkling sound would drift through the house in the middle of the night, almost like evil laughter. Each time I'd sneak to the boys' room, they were both facing the wall, peacefully in their beds. A few times, things would break inexplicably, and Kieran would take the blame for him. I admired his courageousness, but we both knew he was lying. In the most recent instance, he wasn't even in the room that it happened in. I found poor Torn playing on the floor of the room, surrounded by shards of a broken light bulb. A natural food store in town sold white sage bundles, so I bought some and Laura smudged the house. We had no idea what we were doing. In the end, we ended up filling half a shot glass with sand before sticking bunches of sage in the middle and lighting it on fire. We giggled lightheartedly for the first time in days as she climbed up on stairs to wiggle the smoke in the corners. Her mother used to be an herbalist and told her that that's where the bad juju tries to hide during cleansing. Worse still, we started to think that pulling them out of school was a mistake. Their grades and performance had both started to slip. Luckily, they were pulled out for a short enough time that there was still room for them in their brick-and-mortar classrooms. Things went well for a little while once they went back to school. Until they didn't. I was in our computer room, formatting pages for my newest anthology, so I was in the zone, deeply concentrating. After a week of mental silence, I finally had a vision of where I wanted the novel to end. My fingers flew over the keys with fervor as my cursor moved from one page to the next in an endless stream of sentences, paragraphs, and punctuation. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I had to have heard the hiss of the air brakes as the bus stopped in front of our house. The grumbling drone of the engine as it shifted back into drive should have stopped me mid-sentence. Yet, even minutes later, when the front door didn't open, I still didn't look away from my screen. It wasn't until twenty minutes had gone by that I looked at the computer clock and realized that the boys should have been home by now. I laid my head in my hands for a moment, rubbing at my word-worn eyes before rising to my feet. A pop resonated through my ears as my back aligned with my new position after being seated for so long. Something felt off as I walked into the kitchen, stopping in front of the refrigerator to take a mental inventory of what was inside. A pale glow fell over the inside contents as I opened the door. I grabbed Torn a cheese stick, which I knew he inevitably would end up picking on anyway, and cut up some carrots with ranch on a plate for Karen. They were getting frozen meals tonight, which Laura hates, so I figured I'd feel less guilty giving them something that's not junk food when they'd get home. I opened the screen door to the backyard and called out to them, Boys, I have food for you here. No response. Hey, I said, come on inside. It's time to unpack your book bags and eat. 
The only thing I heard sounded like someone bouncing a basketball on carpeting. A thud, thud, thud. Over and over again. Boys! Damn kids! I thought as I walked into the backyard. They never listen to me. And then when I get mad, they act like... Every emotion that I had ever experienced in my life faded away. The moment I looked into my son's eyes... What I felt then was something new. This was something that manifested itself far beyond the emotional realm, gripping my heart with acid and biting at my brain with insanity. My son, the baby I'd helped deliver, hold, love, and feed, was something I could no longer recognize. He stood tall, his body and hands quivering with the power It was too small to know what to do with. Tears shone in his eyes as he saw that I noticed what he'd done. Daddy, he said to stand up for myself. No, but... My voice trailed off as random pieces from the past month began to click into place. The noises, the injuries, occurrences around the house. Torrin was always there. Always unaffected completely. Another suspicion began to form. What if Torn was such a light sleeper when I was around because he was pretending to be asleep? He wouldn't stop, Dad, Kieran shouted, tears of agony streaming down his bloodied face. I tried everything that you said. My mind reeled with thoughts of death. I was overwhelmed by a spiderweb of toxic thoughts of Laura and how she'd handle a situation like this. I pictured all the ways she'd meet her death and how every one of them would be a direct result of this moment. Oh, honey. I hesitated looking over my eldest son as I desperately tried to see any sign of the boy I said goodbye to this morning as he got on his school bus. As serious as the situation was, It still had to be handled gently. My kid was obviously not in his right mind. My very soul was shaken and torn to its core. On one hand, as much as I despised myself for it, at that moment I hated him. I wanted to make him hurt the way that he'd hurt me. Hurt us. Our family was broken now. God knew how we would ever survive something like this. On the other hand, this was my son. In his actions, he'd lost an innocence about himself that most people carry their whole lives. I had no idea how he was going to handle that, how we were going to handle that. And if what he said was true, he'd gone through so much pain and torture already. Why didn't he tell us? We would have helped you, I yelled. My voice reflecting how broken my heart and mind were. Nothing worked, he interrupted. Nothing but this. He motioned to a lump of broken clothing and flesh behind him. Jesus Christ, Garen, no! There was no supernatural influence in our home. No demonic forces that had been trying to attach themselves to our son. Nothing like that. As odd as it is to say at this point, I'd give pretty much anything I have left to go back and have that be the case. 
This was something much worse. A little boy with an evil heart. A boy who didn't have the courage or heart to give up his brother in order to save himself until he reached his breaking point. And two well-wishing parents who had no idea what was going on. His brother lay silent and still on the leaves that peppered the autumn grass. At one point, they had been hues of vibrant reds and oranges. Now they were a shriveled and pale brown. Dead. Just like my torn. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Other Cheek as written by N.M. Brown and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first story and would like to see more of Miss Brown's work and help support her while you do, I'd like to encourage you to pick up a copy of one or more of the wonderful anthologies her work is available in, ready to purchase today at Amazon. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown, like the color. And you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can explore the author's catalog and get your fix of the fearsome for months to come. And just so you're aware, we're an Amazon associate, meaning a portion of your sale which is made using that URL, is provided to us when you complete your purchase. Also, be on the lookout for N.M. Brown's debut novella entitled Door to Door Damages, set to be released on October 27, 2020. You won't want to miss it. In it, you'll meet Oliver Gamblin, who's overjoyed with his new job at the Census Bureau. It's got everything a man could want. Amazing pay, government-level benefits, and the best part, the option to make your own hours. But whatever department hired him has shown him nothing but death, mutilation, and carnage. What happens when we can't trust the companies we work for and accidentally stumble across information that no one is supposed to see? On October 27, 2020, you'll be able to find out after you pick up a copy of Door-to-Door Damages from N.M. Brown on Amazon.com. Once again, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown to get it once it's available. You won't be sorry you did. Oh, and when you do, be sure to leave a five-star review and a kind word 
and let the author know you heard about her here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy once again of N.M. Brown. In it, we'll meet Pete, whose wife Maggie is suffering from a debilitating chronic illness. Gradually starved for intimacy and affection, he seeks out comfort in other healthier women, with some rather unexpected consequences. Without further ado, I present to you Subtle Reminders. Damn, Pete! My newest employee, Marlin, exclaims as he nods his head across the bar. A woman's eyes are all over you. It's that time again, huh? I try to hide my devilish smirk as I give a nod of my own in agreement. I slide my hand down the side of my beer, using the condensation to loosen my wedding band. It pops off of my finger and into my pocket effortlessly, as it has time and time before. My eyes take the time surveying the room before finally meeting her gaze. Jesus Christ, she's got gorgeous eyes. I've always loved redheads, but green eyes just take it over the fucking top. Oh, my God, Marlon continues. Is that one of them Marilyn Monroe beauty marks? Sure enough, right next to her left eye, the tiniest of moles, appeared at the end of God's sentence. A vibrating sensation in my pocket interrupts me as I'm about to walk over to her. It's Maggie, my wife. Can you please bring home some dinner? Preferably something involving red meat. I've got a weakness today. Bad. Fucking great. Putting all plans of an evening rendezvous aside, I texted back that it was no problem. I told her my phone was dying and that I'd be home as soon as I could. As soon as I put the phone in my pocket, our eyes met again. As if reading my mind, she smiled coyly, and tips her head toward the back restrooms. I don't bother to tell Marlin where I'm going. Just head on back. By the time I reach the men's room, I'm already fully engorged in anticipation of what's to come. It doesn't take a genius to see what I just did there, by the way. Anyway, by the time I hear her heels click across the towel floor, I'm fully ready to go, all rationale leaving my mind as primal instinct takes over. She smiles and bites her lower lip at me. That's all it takes to let me know she wants the same thing. By the time I get some steak at the store and arrive home, I pray Maggie's already asleep. My only desire is to go inside, change my clothes, and fall into a sleep coma. That girl was a wildcat. She actually requested that I put my wedding ring back on before I gave her the best 40 minutes of bliss she's probably had all month. There's fucking women these days. To my relief, my wife's sleeping soundly, curled up in a ball on my side of the bed. She always ends up sleeping on my side of the bed, holding my pillows if she goes to bed before I do. Those nights seem more and more frequent lately, I think to myself. Guilt creeps into my mind like a toxic fog momentarily, 
before I shove it away. Maggie scoots her ass backwards until it finds my body. As I snuggle against the back of her body, she starts grinding her hips against me, a telltale sign that she's feeling good enough for sex. The sensation sends uncomfortable jolts through my groin, having well satiated its needs moments earlier. Baby, my boss was really a dick today, and I got pulled over on my way home. Can I just hold you tonight, please? I played softly. Mm-hmm, she murmurs, my words not fully sinking in. Her head shoots up seconds later, almost hitting my nose in the process. What do you mean you got pulled over? That's okay, honey. I was speeding a little to get home to you. You only gave me a warning. I lied smoothly. That seems to be enough for her, because only moments later she's snoring again. Two mornings later, I awoke to the smell of bacon and pancakes. Maggie limped into the bedroom, holding the food on a tray. She picked up the remote disgustedly and turned off a breaking news report on the television set. Nothing but murder and madness. She muttered as she sat on the corner of my side of our bed. She started having vision problems in her late teens. A few years later, she married me in her mid-twenties, She'd started experiencing pins and needles in her legs and feet. One day we were walking in the supermarket, and her leg just gave out, the muscle refusing to move. We went to the doctor, expecting a pinched nerve, or at the very worst, neuropathy from an unknown diabetes, which ran in her family. The MS diagnosis was one neither of us saw coming, or even knew anything about she had good days and bad days, but the doctors said the bad days would grow more frequent with age. That was ten years ago. Good morning, sexy, she said. One of her sparkling eyes winked at me with a wide smile. Something was different about her, though I couldn't quite pinpoint exactly what. My wife straddled me over the bedsheet and I could feel the heat of need radiate from between her legs. My, my, Maggie May, I teased. Someone's feeling better today. Not that I'm complaining. She giggled adorably before leaning down to kiss me. When she did, I noticed something that's never been there before. Maggie, honey, what's that by your eye? Did you hurt yourself? She climbed off of me plopped down on her side of the bed, and crossed her arms over herself, protective, before placing a strand of hair behind a dainty ear so I could inspect it further. What? This? I've always had this. I've never known if it's a mole or beauty mark, but either way I like it. We've talked about it before. Jesus Christ, what's with you? Needless to say, the mood ended there. A few weeks later, I drove out of state for the weekend. The company I worked for was sending me to a seminar concerning a new piece of trial technological equipment that could change the way the world viewed plastic surgery. I made my mind up that I didn't give a shit about whatever it was they had to show me before the plane even landed. I was just grateful for the paid hotel and weekend. 
Maggie had become insufferably clingy in the past week or so, and as hateful as it is to admit, I was glad to have the space. Are you sure you'll be all right? I asked her for the fortieth time as I backed down the driveway. She nodded and waved me off, promising to have kisses and dinner when I got home. I gassed up the car to take to the hotel, all expenses paid by the company, of course. The room was decent, the shower worked, and the bedding was nice. It even had free Wi-Fi and a continental breakfast. One thing I'd learned over the years of travel was that the nicer the hotel that they put you in, the more tediously exhausting the event you were to attend would be. This was about a 7 out of 10 on the sleep in the rental car or being obnoxiously comfortable scale, meaning tomorrow should be bearable at best. On the first day, they wanted us to attend a conference in the hotel's main meeting hall before breaking for lunch. We were to be there from 8.30 a.m. until noon, a grueling three and a half hours of blathering bullshit. Once seated, it only took a few moments before I felt a pair of eyes burning into the seat of my pants. I turned around suddenly to see a woman staring hungrily from behind me. It was obvious the only interest she had in the activity of the room was right below my belt buckle. She was gorgeous. Once she stood, I was surprised to see she was taller than me, a trait I normally stayed away from. Something about her smile, though, there was the smallest gap between her front teeth that drove me crazy, a perfect imperfection that caught and kept my attention. We spent our lunch break up in my room, so wrapped up in each other physically that we were almost late for the second half. I didn't catch her name, and she certainly didn't care to know mine. It was perfect. Maggie was waiting for me on the front porch as I pulled into the driveway. The way that she looked struck confusion and fire into my heart. My wife, who was not even six months ago, could barely stand without assistance, now looked every bit as good as she did the day we got married. It wasn't until she began to walk toward me that I noticed the painful limp and weathered steps. Hey, Pete, she waved proudly. I'm glad you're home. Even though I'm an asshole, I really do love my wife. It made me happy to see her, and in a way, at my darkest moments, after the sex had faded from the air, and the bed is mine alone again, I did miss her. What kind of man would I be if I didn't? Once again, something caught my eye that was slightly off about her appearance. My wife took me in her arms, and we swayed together on a silent tune. The smell of vanilla and roasted chicken melded wonderfully in the air as we walked inside. We continued to embrace as I nuzzled my nose behind her ear and whispered words of affection and praise. My movement sent a tickle throughout her shoulders, and she threw her head back in a loud laugh. That's when I saw it. The hidden alteration that stood out to me earlier was now out in the open and screaming in my face. Between her ruby-red lips, there were a set of shining white teeth, two of which, the front two, had the daintiest gap between them. Now I knew that certainly wasn't there before. I had a picture in my wallet to prove it. 
My God, are you all right? I asked, slightly pulling away from her arms. Did you get hurt? Looks like you chipped a front tooth. Her eyes widened in nonsensical disbelief as she thought over my question. Shut the hell up, Pete. You know I'm sensitive about my teeth. She stiffened in hurt and offense, disengaging from my arms completely. I knew I shouldn't have. After everything Maggie's been through and all of the strange behavior lately, I knew continuing to spend time with other women was possibly the worst thing I could have done. But as you already know, that's exactly what I did. An old friend named Carla from college had come to the next town over for the weekend and asked me to meet and catch up. She'd just found out her husband was cheating on her. The irony of that wasn't lost on me, I assure you, and wanted to come back to her hometown to clear her head and get some space. I got a room a few miles away from where she was staying. We met up for breakfast and had coffee at a place I'd heard great things about but had never been to. She told me all about her marriage, the separation, and how she found out about the affair. In return, I told her about Maggie and how she had got sick, along with the strange offense that had been happening lately. I didn't delve too much into it, but I admitted things were off at home. I'm not sure if it was the connection from our childhoods, back when things were uncomplicated and our hearts were light, or the unburdening conversation that led to more than coffee. We didn't have sex. In some ways, it was worse than that. I followed her back to her motel room. We smoked a joint, held each other, and cried. The red in our eyes was replaced with the color of tears as we talked about what could have been, divulging secrets to evil for our significant others. Carla winced as I grabbed her hand, and I noticed a long, smooth scar across the top of her right hand. She explained she had gotten it in a car accident, and the pain from the surgery flared up when the weather was just right. Our eyes met and lingered, bringing our faces dangerously close together. Our lips touched for the briefest of moments, when all at once a myriad of flashes played out like the screen of a television set. I yanked away from her, as if she was acid on my skin. Only it wasn't Carla. It was my wife's rotted, worm-eaten face. Maggie lay pale in a hospital bed, a machine emitting whooshes and clicks, as it did the job her lungs were no longer strong enough to do. I saw my tired form sit beside her in an old metal chair, the flailing fluorescent lights flickering irritably against the yellow wallpaper. A doctor came into the room and said something to me that made me break into sobs. A piercing alarm rang throughout my ears as the machines declared her dead. I stood at her funeral, silent and solemn, as those around me recounted memories of good times together. Everyone commented on what a good wife she was, and how she loved her husband with all that she had. Each word of consolation turned rotten, and the betrayal of my own actions stabbed through my back like a broadsword. Out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw her eyes pop open, accusingly, as they lowered her into the ground. 
My wife was terrified of fire and always made me promise not to have her cremated. I'm sorry, she started. I guess I just wanted to hurt my husband like he hurt me. I should go home. It was real nice catching up with you. And if you don't mind me saying so, hopefully now you can see how sometimes good people get caught in bad situations. Stay in town, clear your head. Alone, I emphasized. Then, just when he can't stand it anymore, go home. Maggie's cell phone rang unanswered as I drove the two hours it'd take to get home. I told her I'd be away for the weekend, and after all the shit I'd done to her, I was excited to surprise her by coming home early. If we could start over, maybe I could fix the fickleness of my soul. I always felt the need for more, never taking the time to stop and think to appreciate what I already had. Relief flooded me as I saw her parked car in its usual spot in her driveway. I wanted to see her, hold her, rediscover all the things I'd fallen in love with before it was too late. She'd been feeling better lately, but who knew how long that would last. Even at the most promising signs, at the doctor's visits, they still advised me to remain skeptical. A putrid stench emanated from inside, assaulting my senses the moment Maggie opened our front door. Welcome home, honey, she exclaimed through a radiant smile. I've been looking forward to you coming home. Her eyebrows arched as a look of lust overtook her eyes. She grabbed me by the waistband as she pulled me towards our bedroom. All signs of difficulty were absent from her steps. Hell, at the moment, she was having an easier time walking than I was. The smell intensified the further that we traveled into the house. Halfway to our room, I had to stop and cover my airways. What the hell is that? I gagged through muffled lips. The, the smell? I think a possum crawled up under the house and died. I haven't seen the trash bins knocked around in almost a week now. She remarked dismissively as she fought with the belt of my pants. Maggie, stop, I shouted. She broke away from me like a wounded animal. Her bedroom eyes instantly replaced with ones of hurt and betrayal. An unsettling silence settled over us as I took stock of the state of our home. Nothing looked moved around or emptied. The kitchen was clean and the trash had been taken out. There wasn't so much as a dirty dish in the sink. So why did it smell like a landfill in there? Maggie was still silent but hadn't given up on her attempt to usher me into the bedroom. She began to pull and paw at me relentlessly like a feral cat trying desperately to avoid a bath. Now, if this were an earlier time in my life, I would have welcomed such behavior, encouraged it even. It had always bothered me how meek and mild my wife was when it came to intimacy and sex. But now, between the look in her eyes, the feeling in my gut, and the smell in our house, it just wasn't happening. Christ, baby girl. What is with you? I just got home and want to relax for a bit. At least let me kick my shoes off. And for fuck's sake, honey, I'm not going to be able to keep in the mood with that smell. Like, how can you stand it? I feel a migraine coming on, and I haven't even been home for 15 minutes. 
My breath hitched in my throat as my eyes landed on something. Not quite right. Just past my wife, two doors past our bedroom door, was our storage closet. I noticed that there was a foul-colored liquid seeping out from underneath the doorway, pooling onto the tiles of our hallway door. The middle of the door buckled and bowed against the weight of an unknown object, and I didn't need my gut to tell me it was something bad. I lowered my gaze to my wife's face, recognizing a look of terrified recognition as she looked behind her to the closet door. Peter, no! She started to yell, but I gently moved past her. Please don't! She pleaded from behind me through panic sobs. The door flew open the second I relieved the resistance from the doorknob. A stained suitcase falls flat at my feet, the smell multiplying tenfold, and flying into my airways. I doubled over in terror and disgust, and my mouth filled with spit. Bile crawled up my throat voraciously as more of the fitted liquid sloshed out upon impact with the floor, splattering on my shoes and the hem of my khakis. What the fuck, Maggie? I asked breathlessly. Only a number of things could have been held in that case, but I didn't have to guess. Some of the fluid had seeped through the fabric and the zipper track as well. The metal teeth of the zipper were stiff and marred with goo. A small section of teeth remained silver and untarnished, and beneath those teeth was a strand of long red hair. Not just one or two strands, an entire tendril's worth. Who? I stammered. Maggie cut me off before hysteria had a true chance to set in. Who is she? Are you asking me who she is, Peter? I nodded my head, numbly in response. Well, she chuckled maliciously, you would know better than I would, wouldn't you, dear? Shock rubbed the breath from my lungs as I fully absorbed what she was saying. My mind instantly flashed to that night with Marlin at the bar. Self-preservation overrode all worry about finding a body in my back closet. I held my hands up in defense. Now, honey, I don't know what you heard, but I've always been a good man to you. You know you're the only honeypot I want to visit. She raised her hand slowly before landing a slap across my face. Stop it, Pete. Her angry voice growled through gritted teeth and tears of hate. Just stop. She continued the torrent of rage, having subsided a bit, giving her a chance to catch her breath and regroup a bit. Jesus Christ, Margaret, I snapped. You hunted some poor girl down in a fit of jealousy and killed her? How did you even have the time or strength to? I haven't said anything because I love you so much, but if you can commit murder, I think the time for mincing words has passed. You've basically been in death's waiting room for the past year. Now your health has returned to complete normalcy, and you're killing people to boot? What the fuck is this? Give me one reason why I shouldn't call the police right now. You. Love, she said meekly. The reason is love. She took me by the hand, gently this time, and led me to the living room sofa. It was almost impossible to refrain from cringing at the feel of her touch. The same hands that ended someone's life 
were now trying to use me as a source of comfort. I had a really hard time coming to terms with that. How was I supposed to look at this woman the same way ever again after what she'd done? We sat down on opposite sides of the furniture as she began to speak. Her hands were shaking, so she clasped them together in her lap to keep composure. First off, let me say that I know about the woman. I don't suspect, I don't assume, and I'm not going off the word of someone else. I know. So let's cut that trade right now, shall we? She stated matter-of-factly, her voice forceful but otherwise void of emotion. Pete, when you asked me to marry you, I always knew there'd be a chance that your willpower would let us down. You love me the best that you can, and with all of that you're capable of. But you're weak. You crave attention like your lungs crave air. When I got sick, I wasn't able to give you that attention anymore. Her eyes filled with tears. I took my chance to speak as she paused to brush them away. Mags, you know I've never blamed you for getting sick. Please tell me you know that. I haven't been perfect, but I come home to you. I married you. But fuck, we have a rotting body lying in a... She held her hand to silence me. And to be honest, at that very moment, I was grateful for it. I didn't have to look hard to see the scar across her knuckles. My heart wrenched at Carla, the poor lost soul who would never go home to her husband. Maggie interrupted my thoughts. We'll get to that in a minute. It's not like she's going anywhere. Now, back when I first got sick, didn't you say you'd give anything for a cure? For a way to have your wife back? Well, I caught you with your proverbial pants down. I'm not leaving you because of it. And what's more, I'm healthy, Peter. Yeah, but how? How am I supposed to sleep at night knowing I'm cuddling up to a murderer? How do I know you won't try to kill me if I piss you off one day? Same way I'm supposed to go on sleeping with your arms around me, knowing that they've been around someone else. The man I married, the man who vowed to be beside me in sickness and in health, died the day you stuck it in someone else. If anything, you started the killing first. Her voice came out in booms, and the infliction in her words made it difficult to argue. She had me there. We're all capable of doing things we never think we could. The human body and mind is the ultimate mastery. Maggie stood up and walked over to our roll-top desk before opening the top-hand drawer. She turned around with a letter pressed firmly to the skin of her forearm. Wincing once, she pressed hard enough to draw blood. Oh, my God, Maggie! I shouted as I ran over to her. I understand that adultery is painful, but for her to kill herself over it was uncalled for. I won't lie and say... Avoiding the possibility of having to call the police to report two dead bodies didn't cross my mind, either. I knocked a letter opener out of her right hand, ripping my shirt off in order to staunch the bleeding. To my disbelief, there was none. The cut in her arm sealed closed, without so much as a scratch left behind. It looked like she'd gotten a dab of red watercolors on her pale skin. It wiped away like it was nothing, leaving flawless flesh lying underneath. 
They give me life. Life? Oh, what the hell's going on here? I demanded, my mind not able to absorb the events around me. The women that you put your love into, I find them and I take it back. Their last breaths contain all of the energy that I need to heal. Little by little, I've been getting my life back. I was able to get the other women alone, using your phone to lure them to isolated locations. Don't bother to check your phone, she remarked snidely. You won't find any of them. So I guess you want to call the police? Go ahead. But it's not going to look too good for you, buddy. A triumphant smirk settled on her shiny red lips. Then why is that one here? She walked past me to the hallway before giving the suitcase a kick with the side of her foot. This one, she grimaced, kicking the suitcase again, much harder this time. This one came here looking for you. You don't shit where you eat, Peter. And if I'm going to sit home and play the fool, the least you could have done is be discreet about your address. Boy, was she surprised when I answered the door. By the time she saw our wedding photos and bolted for the door, I already had the knife. My mind reeled at so much information at once. None of it made any sense. Feelings and emotions were all so multifaceted. What was I supposed to do? Call the police to turn in the woman I loved for a crime I'd ultimately be accused of in the long run? But how could I live with her after this? Adultery and murder are two different things. Maggie, I said softly. Baby, I'm so sorry. None of this is okay. We've got to get this out of the house. It's not safe. Or healthy. The irony of being worried about the rotting life my wife stole away, affecting her air quality, seems so selfish and wrong. Please, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm not dead, sweetheart. I'm right here. And I'll never disrespect you or be unfaithful again. I grabbed her in my arms and clutched the top of her head to my chest. She shoved me away violently as if revolted by the sensation of my touch. Oh, but you will, Peter. You will be unfaithful again, and you'll do it soon. My transformation is not yet complete. I hope you enjoyed Subtle Reminders by author N.M. Brown, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has an amazing selection of her stories for sale on Amazon.com, along with many other talented authors in a wide range of spine-tingling anthologies, and has a debut novella coming out October 27th, 2020. Might have to get that. Day after my birthday. Huh. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown, like the color, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, and you can get started giving yourself the creeps today. And again, if you give any of Miss Brown's work a try, please leave her a quality review and a kind word and be sure to let her know you heard about them here 
on this very program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. You can learn more about her by following her official website or on social media via Facebook or Twitter. Or check out more of her work for free on Reddit, where she goes by the username BunnyB03. I'd like to also take a moment to thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase a season's pass for the podcast or our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. 
Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.